Praise the Lord, everyone. I'm loud, loud. How is everybody enjoying this nice, crispy morning? It is crispy. Boy, it's definitely cold. But I don't know if everybody's noticing the increased daylight. Oh, I have. It's nice. I enjoy being able to drive in the sunlight again. And it's slowly swinging around. I, man, I'm looking forward to summer already. And I know that we have months <laughs> before we get there. But for whatever reason, we are um, definitely, it seems like January just went by in a blink for me. I don't know why. Oh my goodness, seems like we just did New Year's, and, and bam, here's February. Like, how did that happen? One day at a time, amen. Time seemed to move slower when I was younger. But we enjoyed having Jason's birthday yesterday. Kids seemed to jump till they were red-faced. Thank you for all that attended. We appreciated it very much. But this morning, we're going to be looking at Esther. Now, we're, our focus verse is we're going to look at Esther chapter 4, verse 14. And it says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So we're going to talk about God saved the queen this morning. And our icebreaker question is, if you could be king or queen for a day, what would you do? Anybody else have what they do for one day as royalty? One day. The, the royal spot. I know if I was king for a day, Washington, D.C. should tremble. Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm king. There won't be much left when I'm done. I'll take care of it in 24 hours. 
It doesn't take much. We don't really, as Americans, understand kings. Not really. Even in the military, when I would go over to other countries, they have kings. And it is a serious offense to speak against a king. Like You just don't do it. We're over here blasting our president. It doesn't matter which side you are. We just, we don't care. You don't do that to somebody's king in their country. You'll go to prison. We don't understand the authority, the absolute authority of a monarch. Because even with our situation, everybody's looking to, well, we can vote in somebody else. Maybe we can vote our way out of this with a monarch. There's no vote. Now, as Americans, we don't really have that concept, but as Christians, we should really get a hold of that concept. You don't have a vote. The kingdom of heaven is very much a monarchy. There is a king. He rules over his kingdom. And we don't get a say. We don't get to say, well, Lord, this is what the, the Sterling Pentecostals have decided we're going to do. That doesn't happen. And everything in heaven would look at us like we lost our minds. That if we even presented such a notion, you, you're, you're telling the king what? But for most of history... Kings and queens have been the rulers. This, this presidency, presidency is a more modern and newer idea. But when we look at Esther, we have 66 books in the Bible, and only two of them are named after women. You have Ruth, you have Esther. Now, I find it interesting that these two ladies are both, both at critical times with Israel. And that their marriage becomes the defining characteristic of what is able to happen. And that is true with the church. The biggest thing we have going for us is who the husband is. Who our God is. If we don't have a God that cares, if we don't have any intimacy, we really are wasting our times and fooling ourselves. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have real problems. And I need a real God who can do real things on my behalf because he loves me. But Esther and Ruth, while they're, they're very parallel, there's differences. Ruth was a widow. Esther was an orphan. Ruth was a Gentile that married a Jew. 
Esther is a Jew that ends up marrying a Gentile. But both of these women are there in position to make sure that God's will is accomplished, and powerfully so. Esther is a unique book, and I know that anybody sitting here would know that God's name is not found written in the book of Esther. You don't find the name of the Lord written anywhere in the book of Esther. But you do find it in, I think it's called acrostics, which is when you take successive words, they either have to use the very first letter of the word or the very last letter of the word, and you can't intertwine them. So if you do the first letter, it has to be the first letter of the successive words. If you'd use the last letter, you have to use the last letter of the successive words. And in the book of Esther, I believe the Lord's name appears acrostically four times. You will find the four letters that spell out Lord, or the Jews would say Yahweh, four separate times in the book of Esther. Now, if you get nothing out of this lesson, please note that I really believe that God's name not appearing is highly important. It's not just some Bible jeopardy little factoid that we could say is, is fun and cute. I would say it's purposed. In Deuteronomy 32, 20 and 21, he says, and he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Now, God pronounced his judgment through Babylon. But at the end of the reign of Darius, we now have Xerxes. We now have Esther. And so she's under Persian rule. And as they sit here, we have the only book that is talking about their captivity where God is not mentioned. Now, I know we have the book of Daniel, but to try and remove the name the Lord from a prophet is nearly impossible. To not explicitly talk about God when we're talking about a prophet, you no longer have God's prophet, you have a false one. But in here, you don't explicitly find his name anywhere. And yet... The, the ultimate truth is that God is still maneuvering according to his will. And I believe that one of the, the most important takeaways from Esther is that in the times where we can't explicitly see God in our story does not mean he is not there. 
He is still working on our behalf. And his name is still present. It's just hidden. It takes a little more intuitiveness. It takes a little bit more searching. And it's not necessarily obvious. And all of us at some point in our walk have come across these situations where God and his hand is not as obvious as we'd like. But the book of Esther shows us that even without the explicit presence of his name in the scripture, his will is all over the entire book. What I believe is important is that we start with the queen, I believe you pronounce her name Vashti. And they're holding a feast. Now, I've been to some feasts before. I have seen the Marines celebrate the Marine Corps birthday. I have seen the Navy celebrate shore leave. I have seen the Germans celebrate Oktoberfest in Europe. This was a 180-day feast. That's a party. That's a party that I would be ready to go home from 12 hours in. <laughs> I'm partied out. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. I don't know how you wake up every day and just, yay, let's go. <laughs> I want to go to bed. <laughs> But they're feasting. And the king decides he's going to call his queen. Come here. He's very merry. He's had the fruit of the vine. I want you to come and bring your crown. I want everybody to see how wonderful and beautiful you are. Now some scholars say that he wanted her to present herself with only the crown. But there's no scriptural evidence for this. None. However, she refused. I'm not coming. And this is a problem. Because the queen forgot that her crown still bows to the king. And it is something that as the church we need to remember. You may be his bride, but you are not the king. And when the king says come, it's not a discussion. He's still the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is still God Almighty all by himself. And him marrying us we believe in oneness. He did not turn this into a duality. We don't get to sit and now we're going to console one another. And what do you think? No. He's still the king. There is nobody in that kingdom above the queen except the king. But she forgot that. She walked around and thought she could blow off the king with rebellion. I want you to come. No, nah, I don't feel like it. Those are dangerous places to walk with this king. 
I know that the Lord says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in. Now, I would say, if God's going to set an example of what happens to a bride when she starts to refuse her husband and thinks she doesn't have to submit at all to the king, what do you think is going to happen when, if I'm acting like that and I get up to the gates when God's been telling me to go somewhere? I need you to do this. I need you to go. I need you to come. No, I don't feel like it. I might find that I get up there and the crown I've been expecting has been taken from me. I'm not saying he will, but let's not rule it out. And then we get into a process of the men say, well, you need to deal with this. If not, what are the wives going to do with us if, if, the, if the king's wife can defy him? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and talk about the husband and, and that old tradition of you don't even speak. But there is something notable for today of this concern. And I find that on the battlefield, there was two things that you had to deal with psychologically with people that if it presented itself, it was time to get them off the battlefield. The very first was fear. Everybody on the battlefield is afraid. Like you'd have to be a complete psychopath to be in that kind of danger and not have any sense of fear when you're in that kind of hostile environment. Now, the training is meant to overcome that emotion. The better the training, the better you can control it with the special forces just being absolutely amazing at it. You wouldn't think that they're afraid at all, but they are. They're just trained. And they're trained to the point that when fear starts to take over, their training overrides it and it becomes automatic. But there are instances, and I saw very few, but I did see them when somebody psychologically breaks from fear. And when a person breaks from fear, you have to evacuate them off the battlefield because believe it or not, it's contagious. Fear seems to latch hold of people because they're not breaking over just a normal situation. Normally it's in the most intense part of the firefight and then that intensity, that fear that everybody's feeling is amplified by somebody that is psychologically breaking to the moment. And you have to get them off. Another condition that happens during the battlefield is the lack and breakdown of the chain of command. We would call it unsubmission or rebellion. 
the entire process of a military chain of command is so that during the intensity of a firefight, we are not screaming and we know whose commands we're listening to. It's to keep confusion at a minimum. But the moment that confusion comes in, you can have somebody who is a private yelling orders to override what your lieutenant is saying. Rebellion, too, is contagious. Believe it or not, rebellion is as infectious as fear. And once the bride has determined that in the king's house she doesn't need to be submitted, that is a serious problem that needs to be addressed. When we can gather together as the church, and if we think that we can get to a place where we can go through this word and start scratching out what we don't like and modifying things to fit our needs, that we don't have to submit to the decrees of the king. It is only a matter of time before that rebellion affects each and every one of our houses. Those men said, listen, if you let this continue, rebellion's going to be in all our homes. And I would dare say that that will take place with the church. It is only a matter of time before that sentiment will infect our houses. We will have marital problems. We'll have children problems. We'll just have problem problems. And why? Because I'll be at my house talking evil about the pastor. I'll be at my house talking evil about the man of God. I'll be at the house talking evil about God himself. Talking evil about my kids. Talking evil. Because rebellion, rebellion cannot be contained. It is not something that we just entertain. And so when it is present in the king's house, it needs to be addressed. We have to remember when we gather together, we have one of the greatest people in the house. We have Jesus. There's nobody like him. But that's the point. There's nobody like him. And that includes me. I'm not like him. I'm being taught to be. I want to be. But if I sit here and I believe that I can act as a rebellious queen and still be in the king's favor and that he won't have to address that attitude, I'm going to be in for a shock. But what is beautiful about this moment is this is a type and shadow. This is a picture of what happens for us. Because Israel rejected the Lord, we now get to sit here. Because it pleased the king to go find somebody to replace this one who would not listen. That he was willing to offer up his throne and come into relationship to any fair maiden, anybody. She didn't have to have the right pedigree. All she had to be was a young, fair virgin, pure. And God 
it says that he desires to present himself a spotless bride. He wishes to manifest and get us into a place where when we are raptured and the wedding feast takes place, he is presenting unto himself a pure bride, washed by his blood. But the only reason the Gentiles got to come into this is because Israel thought they could tell the king no. No. I'm going to party the way I want to, and I don't need to listen. I don't need this. We see this in the parable of the wedding feast. Come. Well, no, I'm busy. No, I got this. No, I got that. I have new oxen. I have a new bride. I have new land. And the king is so upset that he tells them, go out and get everybody you can find. Get the lame, get the blind, bring them in, fill my house. When the, when the servants had done so, they told him, there's still room in your house. And he said, then go out by the highways, go out by the byways. You look ev under every stone, you find anything and everything that is willing to come. If it so will, and that is the beauty of this story, is that every young maiden was allowed to be invited if she was willing to come because the king was pleased to replace rebellion. However, as a church, we need to heed the words of Paul where he said, if he would cut off the natural branches and graft us in, do not believe that you can act as they did and not suffer the same fate. I don't know how you can have that scripture and reconcile once saved, always saved mentality that I can act however I want, and the king, he can just deal with it, and hey, he'll be all right. No. The reason we're grafted in to begin with is because he wasn't willing to deal with it. So for us to take the mentality of, well, he'll deal with it, I don't think so. Now, I believe it's a beautiful thing that the Lord has set his invite to us. Call me crazy. I mean, would you like to not have a chance at this wonderful relationship just because you're not a Jew? I am so pleased that God intended this for the whole earth. I am so pleased that he intended everybody to have an opportunity to come to salvation and relationship with him. But what I love more is that with Esther, he used an orphan. And I remember from Brother Woodward's preaching, he blew my mind when he he sat there and he talked about Esther being an orphan years ago. 
And in John 14, 18, he brought out something that I would have never caught and says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And he said that word comfortless is orphanos in the Greek. It's the word which we get orphan from. I will not leave you an orphan. And here's Esther, who is an orphan that is made into the queen. And we, not having a father in heaven, we who were not nigh to the promises, we who were outside of the covenant, all of a sudden, we have been brought close because it pleased the king to do so. This is a beautiful thing. But the second you get called, you're going to face a Haman. Now, Haman, if there, was, if there was ever a type and shadow of Satan, I would say it's Haman. Because my, oh my, Haman wants to kill every single Jew over the actions of one man because that one man would not bow to him. I mean, when we have a devil that says, I will be like the Most High, you want to get on his bad side, refuse to bow. And if you want to discover a Haman spirit, refuse to bow. I know that within the world, there are many things that are taking place in our country that are taking place across the face of the earth. And many of those things, really what is driving behind it is a spirit of Haman. It's a spirit of the Antichrist. You can look at this alphabet that has come across and really what it is is Haman. How dare you not bow to what I am? How dare you not give obeisance to what I declare? How dare you stand in defiance? And so I will destroy all of you. Now, I, this isn't some political rant at all, because that spirit can be found in the church. The only thing you need to do to bring that spirit out is refuse to bow to what somebody thinks they're entitled to. We would call it pride. I would say that Haman is full of pride, full of wrath. Now me, as a preacher, I don't know if anybody's noticed, I'm sure that they have, I am really bad at giving thanks. I am really bad at the political, whatever you want to call it. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for having me. Thanks, 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 thanks. And that's all well and good. I don't do it to blow you off. I don't do it to be mean. I am really just so fixated on what I have to teach that I don't really pay attention to that part. However, I do know 
that that lack of doing stuff can offend. How dare you not give me what I think I'm owed? Well, last I checked, this isn't your house. I give thanks to God. I'm glad you're his servant. I'm glad that you've been elevated. I'm glad that he's given you authority. But you better check yourself, Haman. Because I can sit here and get the same attitude. Well, I, I'm a license. I'm this. I'm that. That doesn't matter. I'm nothing without him. And the second I make this about my ego, I can quickly descend into Haman. And the problem with the Haman is he was an Agite. They say that he was a descendant of King Agag that Saul was supposed to kill, who was a descendant of the Amalekites that descended from Esau that attacked them in the wilderness. And if there is anything that has really struck me about Haman, it's that if God tells me to get rid of something in my life, I better do it because my descendants might pay for my decision to keep it. They might have to deal with a Haman that was birthed from my King Agag. They might have to sit here and deal with the consequences of me not carrying forth my duty. And that's not something I would ever wish upon my kids, my grandkids, if the Lord should tarry, great-grandkids. But we have Queen Esther who has this idea as Haman starts to maneuver, he makes this decree through the king. He gets the king to decree that there's a people that are against you. There is a people that are against you. Have you noticed how there is increasingly becoming an anti-Christian sentiment in this country? And I would declare that COVID was as deadly as they said it was. And the only reason it wasn't as devastating as the virus was supposed to be is because a praying church petitioned the king. And the king changed the nature of the virus and kept it from devastating as it was intended to devastate. So this idea of being anti-Christian that you're against us. Oh, oh, king, oh, nation, there's these people that are against you. That's not true. We're praying for you. The church should be praying for the world. It should. If we're not, we're not the church. We're here to make the cries of them be heard in his throne. But the attitude, the brief attitude that is displayed in Esther is she has this sentiment, this idea that is in our opening text that Mordecai is addressing. He says, don't think that you can just not do this. 
and that you're going to come out okay. He told her, if you won't do it, God will find another. Now listen, I believe in oneness. There is no other doctrine. Not, in my, not, not that I can find in the Bible. There is but one God. There is but one name. There is but one baptism. There is one faith. But if the UPCI won't stand up and do what it's called to do, God will find another to do it. He will. If we won't do, if we won't petition, if we won't pray, if we won't walk as we're supposed to, Sterling is going to be saved. These souls are going to be brought into his faith. He just won't use us to do it. And he said, you and your house will be destroyed. This idea of using church as basically a child's playground of tag, and this is the safe zone, you can't get me, devil. I'm safe, everybody else, go chase them. That's not what this is about. This is a spiritual hospital for the wounded and for the spiritually dying. This is a place that constantly is in storm because we are trying to retrieve people out of the storm. You're a fisher of men. Well, you know, spiritually, I have never felt it just become glass and it's just a nice sunny fishing trip. Because people aren't found in those conditions. It's the same reason we all want mountaintop experiences and yet God constantly walks us through the valleys. Because you don't find the lost on the mountaintops. You find them in the lowest valleys. The lowest valleys is where the richest soil is, which is where you're going to have the most effect sowing the seed. This is why the enemy fights over the valley and not the mountain. Because he knows what is in the valley and what you can bring out of it. Esther had to know that you have to petition the king if you are to get any victory in this. If you don't bring the king in it, there is no victory to be had. I know that we love to preach, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, but that does not give me license to think that I don't need the king to get victory anymore. Oh, well, I got an infilling, so I don't need to petition him on this. I got an infilling, I can just use authority. I can just name it and claim it and speak it and do as I wish. That's not true. Your position as a church, as a bride, gives us a position that everybody else will be killed if they enter into it without him inviting them. He says, come boldly before the throne because of who you are. There are people who cannot come boldly before the throne because they are not in covenant, but their petition needs to be heard by the king. That is the point of Esther. Mordecai can't do it. 
He can't go in there and be like, oh, king. But he has to tell the bride, bride, I need you to petition the king. And so the bride had to be submitted to petition. And Mordecai had to be submitted to the bride that when we need to go into a throne room experience, we, we have to do it in unity. When our man of God, when our pastor needs to go into the throne room, it is not, well, hey, Pastor Glover, enjoy your prayer closet. All of us, all of us need to be in unity, in prayer, in fasting to get this released. This is what the queen was here to do. This is why Esther was here, is that they may save. Now, what I find funny about Haman is that in his type and shadow of Satan, he uses the king's decrees to try and accuse God's people. Do you realize that Satan means accuser? What do you think he's accusing you of? Nothing satanic. He's accusing you of everything that you violated here. He's using the king's decrees. You say, well, they broke this. They broke that. They said this. They did that. And on and on. And he's got a list. Boy, he's got a list. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed, he's already got a list before you get in these pews. But you have a God who sacrifices. Nope, I don't care. I forgive them. They came. They petitioned. They repented. I don't even acknowledge it anymore. It's like it never happened. And now Haman will be hung on the very thing he's been intending to destroy you upon. And that is something that I want us to recognize for those that have been going through trials, for those that have been facing some situations. I want you to really pay attention to the enemy and what he has been declaring and what he has been saying, you will be destroyed and you will be hung and this is going to happen because I want you to know that is the victory God is going to show you with your enemy. It is the very thing that he is going to hang from. Everything that he says is a lie, and he will be hung by his lie. Haman will be destroyed, and now we have the book of Esther that is being read by the Jews during the feast because the people were preserved. The queen's ultimate mission her, the ultimate will for God of the queen was to save the people. Come before the king and save the people. We know that we're the end time church. If you don't, please read your Bible and get up to speed. Because you don't have to be a PhD in theology to see 
these things coming to pass in Israel. I know that you can see it across the face of the earth, but Israel is the timepiece. But the whole point of this, the whole point of this is not so that we can sit in the king's house and be safe. It is so that we can petition the king and the people get delivered from a Haman that seeks to destroy them. Amen? God saved the queen. The queen did not save herself. Amen? We are here because of him and his actions and his will and his love for us. Nothing else. I know that this is a two-way street, but I cannot be perfect. And even if I could, that still would not make me worthy. It is only by God that we will see salvation. It is only through God that we will see what he intends for these people. It is only by God that we will see the harvest come across this nation and this earth. But it takes a queen who's willing to recognize I am positioned so that I can go into the throne room. Amen? All right, so let us greet one another. Let us be thankful that God gave us a nice warm house to worship in. We don't have to do it outside. Amen? And give each other a hug because I'm sure that in this dark time already, some people just might need it. Amen?